So Money episode 1146, Samantha Edis and Amy Nelson, co-hosts of What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Happy Monday, January 11th, 2020. If you're looking for some hot podcasts to subscribe to in the new year, I've got a good one. I've got the co-host of an exceptionally great new podcast for women listeners who want to learn how other women, and I'm talking some headliners, get it done. And also how they failed throughout their journey. Because as my guests say, this is something that we don't talk about enough. Samantha Edis and Amy Nelson are the co-hosts of What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. In each episode, the co-hosts feature a woman at the top of her field sharing her story, both professional and personal. People like Abby Wambach, Glennon Doyle, Ariana Huffington. I was just on their podcast last week. If you want to hear about how I learned about money, my advice for 2021 and growing up in an immigrant family, what that taught me about money. They asked me questions. I mean, they even asked me, how how do I make money? (laughs) If you want to know how I make money, listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. I was on last week. More about Sam and Amy. They've actually both been on this podcast individually in the past. Samantha, she's got an MBA from Harvard. She's a best-selling author of five books, a renowned speaker. She's hosted a nationally syndicated call-in radio show. Her most recent book is The Pie Life, The Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction. She's also the founder of Park Place Payments. Amy Nelson is the founder and CEO of The Riveter, a community built by and for working women. She has raised $30 million in venture capital funding, and she's also the proud mother of four young daughters born in four years. You heard that right. Amy's a native of Ohio. She went to Emory and then NYU Law School. And on this episode, look, we talk about a lot of deep stuff. Why are we hopeful for women in 2021 in terms of work and career opportunities? It's been a really, really crappy 2020 for women in America. What can our country do to support female workers, to support families? Here are Samantha Edis and Amy Nelson. Amy Nelson and Sam Addis, welcome back to So Money. It is so cool to know that the two of you have teamed up. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. I mean, Amy and I, this is our first interview together. Especially excited. Wow. Well, you two are definitely on to something hot. Your podcast, What's Her Story, is so Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm hooked. I was, I've been, and I've only listened to like, you know, 20 minutes of, of what is, you already have, you know, over a dozen episodes with some of the most incredible women on the planet. People we, as a podcaster, I would only dream of interviewing from, you know, Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle, who are, uh, are they married? Or, 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 yes, they're yeah. They are married, Mindy Grossman, and I believe you've got Gloria Steinem coming up soon. First, you're both very busy women, as we, that's an understatement. You've both been on this podcast independently talking about raising your families, running businesses, just have so many things going on at any particular time. And I know the pandemic has been really hard on moms and especially mom entrepreneurs and mom 
uh, moms who work. Why did the two of you decide to take on more responsibility in 2020, a podcast, which is not easy. Why did you want to do this? Well, before I'll let Sam answer this, but before she does, I will say that we agreed to this before the pandemic really started. (laughs) So we didn't agree. We didn't decide to do this knowing that our lives would be completely turned upside down um, by this crisis. But I do think, Eamon, you would agree that, you know, obviously there's been so many bleak things about 2020 and definitely for both of us, a highlight has been this podcast. When when Amy and I first signed up, well, first of all, Amy and I met a few years ago and it was kind of love at first sight for us. We immediately were like, oh my gosh, how can we find ways to work together? We were so like-minded and and we just immediately clicked. And Amy was based in Seattle and I was in Los Angeles. But still every time, you know, we were in the same city because we both traveled a lot for work, we would just always collaborate and do big women's dinners or we would um, get together for a ourselves. And I think it was always important to us to find ways to work together. And so we had this idea of doing a podcast last year and we, we signed with iHeart, which we were so excited about. And when we first signed with them, they said, okay, we're, you know, doing it all in the studio. And Amy was planning on coming to LA for all the episodes. And then the pandemic hit. And, um, and, and, and to back up, Sam, what you were saying about how we met, I think something that's important to note about that too, we were always finding ways to work together, but we were always also cheerleading, cheerleading each other's careers, right? Like you and I are both entrepreneurs. This is not our first act. I was a lawyer. You've been a journalist. You've been a brand consultant. You've done so many different things. And so, you know, when we started working um, on our friendship, we also started working on each other's businesses. I've helped you with fundraising. You've helped me with a million different pieces of my business. Um, You know, I remember a great example is that last year's Alt Summit you know, you came and listened to my speech. And immediately afterward, you were like, this is great. Here's what you can do better. And this is what we've always done. But this is what we've always done for each other. Right. And I think, you know, part of wanting to do a podcast together was sharing what we've been able to share with each other about our careers. Yeah. And I think both of us and and Farnoosh, we count you in this because I remember you came to a dinner that I invited you to in New York. I think it was the summer before the pandemic. Um, You know, Amy and I always feel like we can't collect enough women like us. Like we love meeting working moms who we can, you know, boost and lift up. And we're both the kind of women that like love other awesome women who are doing things in the world. And so for us, this podcast, which was just a natural progression for us, because we're obsessed with hearing women's stories. And I think that both of us feel in furniture, you'd probably agree that you know, we always open up Forbes or Fortune or, or, or Inc. and you see the same 10 women over and over and you start yeah. almost getting brainwashed into thinking that like Sheryl Sandberg and Marissa Meyer and like those are the only women who get it. Yeah. <laughs> what are the questions that you feel have still gone unanswered? And maybe it's because I do read all of those articles about women and I feel like a lot of the same questions get asked over and over again. Like, how do you do it all? And, you know, it, it's, which is important. We want to know. But what are the what are the what are you really trying to get to the bottom of on your podcast in What's Her Story? One of the things I love that we talk about a lot is how failure defines us and leads to future success. Women aren't allowed to fail. We are still not allowed to fail. And so I think when we talk about failure with these really successful women, we can learn the stories and embrace that failure as part of the story. It seems like no journalist wants to write about that in Inc. or Entrepreneur, but these stories are so important, right? We get to hear all the time about when Bill Gates messed up or Jeff Bezos failed, but we never hear about when women fail. And when we interviewed, for example, Sally Krawcheck, 
she's been publicly fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And we asked her how she handled that, right? And she had an amazing answer. And she talked about how she used it to fuel her success. And I think it's so important to talk about those stories. Yeah. And I think, you know, to Amy's point, the other the other piece of that I would say is that the personal stories just aren't told. And, you know, we have Barbara Walters to share with us like every little bit of Brad Pitt's life. And we know what he eats for breakfast and, and what his, you know, what his favorite thing to do on, on Sundays is or whatever it is. We don't really get that kind of information about our icons in business. And so the reason we created What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is because we wanted to be able to tell the stories of remarkable women, but not just the professional journey, but, and not just as you said, Farnoosh, that question that always comes up, like, how do you balance it? That's really not it. Because when you hear about what, tell us about your, like your morning routine this morning, what happened in your house this morning? What was the last time you got in a a fight with your husband about, hold on, you know, you have two kids from two different marriages. Like what's that like? you know, with your crazy career. We try to ask the questions that everyone else is either afraid to ask or just doesn't think it's acceptable to ask. I mean, we we feel like we have failed if we get through an interview with someone and they don't at some point say, oh my gosh, someone's no one's ever asked me that before. Like that's our goal. <laughs> well, like I mentioned earlier, you're both entrepreneurs and in this current chapter in your lives, Sam, you run Park Place Payments and Amy, you are the founder of The Riveter. And between the two of you have seven children. What's been the hardest part of 2020? Maybe you could identify many, but what has been the one, like the greatest challenge as a result of current world that we live in, the pandemic, the recession? And then maybe a follow-up to that is, what do you think we need in place to support more mom entrepreneurs in, so that we don't have these issues come up again in times of difficulty? That is a really hard question because I have so many answers about what has been hard this year. Um, the Riveter is a community built by and for working women. And prior to the pandemic, we were an in real life community with workspace and events and programming. Um, and so I've had to pivot my entire business, uh, which was really hard to do after I've been working so hard for three years with an incredible team to build a successful business. Um, And then on the personal front, I've really lost my village. I have four little girls under the age of six. And, you know, kind of my village has been taken away piece by piece from, you know, not being able to, you know, have my 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 parents, my kids' grandparents come visit us in Seattle and help us to, you know, losing our full-time childcare when there's a stay-at-home order. And it's almost impossible, right? I mean, I think um, I read something recently that someone said, you know, we're not just working from home, we're working and parenting and running remote school from home. And all of those things can can break us. I think that one of the things we can do to try to change this dichotomy in the future is, and, and this is more uh, not for women entrepreneurs, but for uh, mothers who work in corporate America and who remain the primary caretakers in America, is, you know, a lot of companies are allowing remote work during the pandemic and encouraging flexible schedules. But when you work at a company and everyone else is expecting you to be available for meetings or, you know, to respond to an email, finding a way to embrace flexible schedules so that everyone can understand when people are working and when they're available and not expecting 24-hour availability. Sam, how about you? Do you think that flexibility is going to be a longstanding part of the culture now everywhere? 
I do. I mean, as you know, I, I kind of bet my company on that, right? So, so my company provides opportunities for women to work from anywhere on their time. Last time I was on your podcast, we talked about it. And at that time, we were charging women to train them to sell credit card processing to their communities. We've since abandoned that model before COVID in the um, early last year or the end of last year, we decided that we would train everyone for free because what was happening is we weren't getting the hungriest people the people that really wanted to make money and we're going to put in a lot of time. And so we decided we would just train people for free to sell in their communities. And that was worth that we were going to invest in them. Now, once the pandemic hit, obviously so many people are financially vulnerable. So the interest in our program has kind of skyrocketed. And now we're just boarding people at a rapid clip. So in a strange way, the pandemic has boosted our business. Um, now on the flip side of that, I've been raising my seed round during the pandemic and um, I've been raising money. I say raising money from my bedroom basically, whereas normally I'd be out on the road hustling, which would have been 10 times faster. So that's just been, you know, one of the the definite challenges for me is how do you do that when I have three kids at home? Again, like Amy, no childcare, but in a very different situation. My kids are 10, 13, and 14. So they're very self-sufficient and can, you know, manage their own Zoom school and things like that. But certainly, you know, just the emotional tenor of the house and the fact that my kids are, are you know, having their teenage years solely with their parents. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. can't even imagine what that's like for them. And I, you know, one of my daughters started high school from home and one of them started a new school from home in seventh grade. And I feel terribly for them and what they're missing out on. And I think that's been just definitely very, very difficult. And I'm an extrovert. So not having the energy of other people around me and just having, you know, my family all the time. And just the mundane nature of it, I think it's been a huge challenge to wake up every day and motivate. And I know we're all feeling it. You know, I think of it as a blender. Like it used to be that we had these boundaries. I used to commute to the office every day for 45 minutes each way. And I get home and then I was super present with my kids. And then, you know, I'd go back online after they went to sleep. It's a very different world today. It's just one big blender and everything is mixed and, and you go from one to the other all day long. And it's just very hard on all of us. Now, Amy and I are really among the lucky ones. And you too, for our news, we're all entrepreneurs. And my heart breaks for corporate people. I was counseling a group of women a few weeks ago who are all attorneys across the country. And they asked me to just, you know, be on a Zoom call with them for an hour. And they were describing a life where even if they're not expected to be in the office right now, their boss is expecting them to work eight to six or eight to seven hours while their kids are at home. And it's just unreasonable. I mean, at my company, we're super flexible. If someone needs to pick up a kid or if someone needs to, you know, go for a hike during the day and then come back to work, that's acceptable. I think, you know, what we're realizing is that if you trust your employees, a remote workforce is possible. And I'm hoping and I'm optimistic that this will permanently change the way most of corporate America treats their employees. You are both very optimistic, for sure. And, and uh, you know, at a time when it's hard to be optimistic, you look at what's happening to women in the workforce, you 
pointed out some of these issues. But the reality is when you look at unemployment, there's a disproportionate number of women losing their jobs. This is being coined as the she session, whereas the last recession was very much male dominated because the industries that uh, shed most of the jobs were in areas like finance and construction, manufacturing, mostly male dominated workforces today, much different. Where do you think this leaves women? And and are you optimistic that we can rebound? And what's it going to take? It's going to obviously take those some of those jobs coming back, but probably also a rejiggering of the workforce, like a reformatting of what work means and how it looks to, in order to support families. Yeah, I mean, I, I am optimistic in some ways. Look, I think, you know, this country has faced crisis before and it's faced crisis that has impacted women in the workplace. You know, my company is named The Riveter after the Rosie the Riveters of World War II. And it was really interesting if you look back to that period in time, what was happening in our economy with men leaving to go fight abroad is that we needed women to work and we had to make it possible for them to do so. And so at that point in time, the government went ahead and passed legislation for heavily subsidized childcare. And that lasted past World War II for some time and, until it was taken away. But the point being is that our government can act and our government can make choices that help keep women and bring women into the workforce. And I think we have a big opportunity for that to happen over the next four years. I think we know that we need women in the workforce. I think we are seeing a massive exit that is really sad and, and could set us back for 10 generations. But I think we can change it. And I think we have a lot of really strong women who can lead the way. Yeah, and I'm I'm really hoping that this is highlighting for a lot of people that you really shouldn't be relying on one income in your household. Um, a lot we get a lot of of people every day contacting us who are suddenly not able to go back to their corporate jobs, and so they want a flexible opportunity like Park Place offers. However, um, I think it's really critical that that people are not relying on their spouse as their only source of income. Because as we see when this kind of pandemic or unexpected things hit and unexpected things happen most of the time, you want to be financially protected. And the only way to do that is by achieving financial independence. And so mm -hmm. my fear is that the women who leave, that you know, 870,000 women who left the workforce um, disproportionately are women of color. It's, it's very scary. I do pray that those women are keeping their networks warm and keeping their foot in the door in some way, because we've seen over and over that if you leave completely, it's almost impossible to get back in. How often does money come up on your podcast? What's her story? I obviously with Sally Krawcheck, I'm sure it came up quite a bit, but in terms of their personal journey, narrative, lessons learned, their relationship with money and how it have impacted their success or not, what are some anecdotes that you that you may have heard or well, I'll start this one in because I mean I think what's really interesting is Amy and I bring up money in every single podcast because our dream is that at your next girls' dinner, you're talking about money as much as you are your favorite, you know, high school guy crush or whatever it was. Like, I think for us, we are so obsessed with women talking about money. And so we would never have an episode where we don't ask people about the relationship with money because it's the longest relationship they'll ever have. Yeah, I, think I love that. I was just going to add, I mean, yes, I laugh when you ask the question because we're obsessed with money, talking about money, making it something that is, is something we should all talk about all the time. 
Is there is there a particular story on your show that kind of you know you that is sort of top of mind? Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to belabor the point, but I yeah. you know I you know me you yeah. know me. Well, one one of the, the the things that that stuck out to me was I think it was in our second episode with Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle, and they were talking about their different money styles together. So one of them is a more of, you know, a, a risk taker, an investor, and one is very afraid about money. And mm-hmm. I think that was fascinating to me because I think all of our relationships are impacted by our own childhood relationships with money. And it's fraught with you know, fear or bravery or excitement or terror. And I think, you know, everyone has such a unique relationship to it, but we don't talk enough about it. And I think it doesn't only affect your romantic relationships, but it also affects your friendships. I mean, I think I, and I think in in raising money, it's also sort of brought to the forefront to me, how few women, even ones who are very successful are afraid of investing and Mm -hmm. afraid of taking chances. I've been recommending this book to everyone. That's such a bro book, but it's actually very good called Angel by Jason Kalkanis. And if you can get over the bro factor and the fact that he has like no women examples in the book, it's actually amazing because I think you would never read this book and not want to invest And I think that, you know, when I'm trying to think of other stories, Amy, I feel like every person has had some fascinating um, experience with money and just how it's impacted their life. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of the last one, obviously, that, that impacted me was certainly Sally. One thing that Mindy Grossman said that stuck out to me is that she actually did take big job leaps for less money if it was something where she would learn a ton and be able to grow. So I thought that was shocking and interesting. I thought it was really interesting. One thing that I that also really resonated with me across many guests we've had, I think, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it might be true that at least half of our guests have been divorced. Um, they might be married now, but they're on second marriages or they're single now. And I think you know, that relates to money a lot because to Sam's earlier point of relying on one income, you know, marriages don't last forever. Some do, some don't. Right. And so to, to think about how you can always take care of yourself, if you have children, take care of your children is so important. Um, and so I think there's something really critical to that piece. We always talk about what happens if you, if your spouse leaves you or what happens if they drop dead, we don't talk about what if you want to leave? What if you exactly. fall? Yeah. The money is your agency. There was a startling study this summer. And actually this is a repetitive study. And every time they find the same outcome, which is that women, uh, many of them, and in this this year, in this cohort, a lot of millennial women, which we don't often characterize as burying their head in the sand when it comes to money, but they are. And they're leaving a lot of these big financial decisions like investing, Sam, to their spouses. And I would be curious if they even knew the username passwords to, you know, their brokerage accounts. But it's like, what is happening? I mean, I mean, I, I think I have a couple of I have a couple thoughts on this, but I'm really curious to see if you have any I, I think kind of I would I feel differently maybe about this than Amy. I'm obsessed with the fact that this starts very, very young in mm. early childhood. My daughter was the only girl on her Lego robotics team 
from when she was seven and all the girls were in ballet and she wasn't. And I think, you know, we just, we do, we, we tell girls they should grow up to be princesses. And then you realize, like, I remember my daughter when she was little, I said, she goes, why don't you like princesses? And I said, I don't, I don't dislike them. I just feel like they don't do anything. And she goes, yes, they do. They grow up to, to wait for princes to marry them, to clean houses and wait for princes to marry them is what she said. And I was like, okay, well, that's exactly why we don't have princess stuff in our house. Like, I think that we are not raising girls to say, yes, you're going to be strong. You're going to be ambitious. You're going to go for the gold. And even when what we show them at home, there's like, oh, don't tell daddy or asking for permission Mm -hmm. to shop or all of that rhetoric, I think is transferred into our kids. And so what are they seeing at home? If they're seeing daddy's the breadwinner, mommy's not working, it's unlikely they're going to grow up and have a very different life from that. I mean, Sam, I actually agree with you in many ways. Um, And I would add that aside from, you know, your young childhood, like for teenage girls and young women, we don't say that it's cool to know about money or to want to make a lot of money or to know how to invest money, right? We say, it's cool to kind of bat your eyes and and not talk about being ambitious financially. And I think that's a big piece of it, right? Like it, it, we need to make it attractive um, for women to know their money inside and out and, and make it even just okay for women to want to make a lot of money. I mean, I think that, that at a baseline, we still don't do that. I think that's one of the reasons I love being around Amy. She's really helped me grow in that way. I mean, I was always ambitious. I had a mom who hammered into me the importance of financial independence from the time I was born, I feel like. But Mm -hmm. Amy is very vocal about, I want to make a lot of money. I, I have these goals. And I think she's gotten me more comfortable with that, with asking for more money, with wanting to make more money, with wanting to speak about money in that kind of way. And I think when we do it, we empower all of the women around us. Personally, I think it is a generational problem. And I think if you look at even the most recent Pew studies that look at how Americans feel about gender roles and money, most people, I think it was 70% men, 71% women think that it is a man's responsibility to be the breadwinner in the marriage. And with that comes a lot of other expectations probably too, that he's managing the money, that he's making the decisions, that he's you know the sole breadwinner. Um, so we, we, there's this gap between where we think we are progressively and where we actually are in this country. And that's, that's a lot, that's a big headwind, I think, to combat because and that that shows up everywhere, right? It shows up in the media. It shows up in how in the news. It shows up in conversations uh, around the Thanksgiving dinner table. Um, we don't see enough modeling uh, around. You know, we don't see enough Amys and Sams in the world. And um, and I'm 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 hopeful though. I'm hopeful that we can change this narrative. Well, it's so funny when you say we don't see enough Amys and Sams and Barnushes in this world. They're out there, and the issue there are we don't hear their stories. And I think that circles back to exactly what yes. started. What's her story with Sam and Amy? Yeah. Because those stories are everything. Absolutely. All right. So I want to ask you, what do you need most right now as a professional woman, mother, if you had to choose between more time or more money, or what is the resource that you need more of that you could really leverage? <laughs> I mean, All of it. <laughs> I, 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 right now, I'm more of a social life. 
I, I think more margaritas with friends. I think for me, probably I would say more money just because I'm at the tail end of my fundraise right now. So I'm very focused on money and growing my company. Um, and then of course, I would also say more listeners because Amy and I started our podcast just two months ago and it's growing really fast, but we're so excited about it. And it's definitely been a huge highlight for me professionally. Um, Amy, what would you say? I would also say more listeners. I love our podcast. I love telling these stories. And so I think that's a big one. Um, But I would also say more money. I mean, my, you know, we're not talking about this a lot, but my family's financial situation has changed during the pandemic, right? Um, The Riveter has lost a lot of revenue because we had in real life memberships and my husband's work situation has changed. And um, I think it's something with the that the majority of families in America are contending with right now. And so more money would be great. Well, everyone, let's get you those big listeners. You've already got a lot and more. I'm going to send you more if I can. What's her story with Sam and Amy on all podcast players brought to you by iHeartRadio. Thanks so much, ladies. Thanks so much for tuning in to check out What's Her Story. You can go to whatsherstorypodcast.com. It's also available on all podcast playing platforms. If you'd like to leave me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, very simple. You can do so by going on Instagram, following me there, and sending me a direct message. You can also go onto the So Money Podcast website, somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh and submit your question there. See you back here on Wednesday when we have Ramit Sethi, a friend of the show, a best-selling author, financial guru, who's going to tell us how to find our dream jobs in 2021. I hope your day is so money. 